So when you add all of these things up, right, trouble getting pregnancy, things like miscarriages to stillborn to postpartum depression, like all this, that the whole journey, right? Yeah. Like the percentage of people who go through one of these things is extremely high, right? Which is exactly why we should be talking about all of it, right? Welcome to Startup Dad, the podcast where we dive deep into the lives of dads who are also leaders in the world of startups and business. I'm your host, Adam Fishman, and in this episode, I sat down with Brian Balfour, the founder and CEO of Reforge. Brian has a long and storied history as an entrepreneur, a founder, and a growth leader. I recently learned that he founded a precursor to MySpace and Facebook way back in the day. He was the VP of growth at HubSpot and is an advisor, an investor, and a venture partner, along with a fellow Midwesterner and University of Michigan grad, Go Blue. Brian is the father of two and has a wonderful partner who works in healthcare. We talked about the decision to start a family when you have two hardworking parents and how to work through that decision-making process. We also talked about an early parenting tragedy that Brian experienced, the loss of a child at birth. It's a heartbreaking story, but one that many will find comforting as they navigate their own parenting challenges and heartbreak. This was a fantastic conversation and we covered a lot of big topics. I learned a lot from Brian in this conversation, and I hope you do too. Please welcome Brian Balfour to the program. Brian, good to have you here. Thanks for having me as well. Nobody's ever referred to me as a titan of the industry, but maybe you weren't thinking of me when you said that. I don't know. (laughs) I was definitely thinking of you. That's absolutely (laughs) what I was thinking. And you'll never know for sure. Brian, it's really good to have you. Did I do justice to your background? What exciting things did I leave out about your professional life? Well, I'll just add a little tidbit that precursor to MySpace and Facebook was the official name. I still own the domain, hinted if anybody wants it, partycampus.com because I started it in college. And the hypothesis was a Friendster was around at the time, a college-specific social network, right? And sitting at the Mm -hmm. center of a social network was like the social scene of the college, hence party. But you can kind of tell what I was interested in thinking about at that time of my life. Very different than the fatherhood conversation that Uh, we're about to talk about. But that was a fun fun ride. That was pre-Facebook. There was a bunch of people competing in that space at the time. Obviously, Facebook ate all of our lunch and you know, yep. grew that to like 30 or 40,000 members by driving around to all of the colleges in the Midwest and sleeping in the car and chalking oh, up God. sidewalks at campus and stuff. So it was, uh, that was my introduction into social viral loops, guerrilla marketing. Can't, it was just all, yeah. it was all sorts of fun. So, wow, that's amazing. And it was probably fueled by many a Bud Light, many a collegiate Bud Light was consumed. No, Bud Light was too expensive at the time. It was either PBR or Milwaukee's best, like PBR on a good day. So, yeah, PBR was the high end, was the champagne. That's right. Awesome. So tell me a little bit more about your background. You grew up in the Midwest. Where are you from originally? You know, what are your parents like? How did you find yourself out in the Bay Area after all these years? Yeah, I grew up about a half hour outside of Detroit in a little town called Plymouth and born, kind of raised there, went to University of Michigan. So I basically spent the first 22 years of my life in Michigan. And both of my parents were actually teachers. My mom taught college level math. My dad taught various like AP subjects in high school. And so as you can imagine, like education was a very big part of my upbringing. But It was classic, like Midwest, middle-class suburban upbringing. You know, I had like eight friends within two blocks of different distance, like living from me. It was a great little neighborhood to grow up as a kid. And so, you know, I think one of the things, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about too, is my parents were very supportive, but they were also very risk averse. My mom grew up in a household with four other kids. My grandpa owned a car dealership that didn't do very well during one of the economic downturns. And they lived quite you know, frugally. My dad actually grew up on a farm, raised mostly by his grandparents because his father died in World War II, like when he was oh, only wow. like one year old and stuff. And so, you know, kind of growing up in that environment, Midwest, you know, failing car ecosystem, not the most entrepreneurial place. So a lot of people ask me like, well, like, how did you go from there to you know starting multiple companies? And 
you know, the turning point was like, it was always something that I felt like was inside me. I was always like starting little companies as I was a kid. And then I, I spent a summer out in Los Angeles with an uncle of mine who had started his own business in the event planning business and did a lot of events for, you know, actual titans of industry. And I just got exposed to a whole new world. And it really kind of opened up and stoked this like desire that was sitting down deep inside. And my uncle was a big part of supporting my first big entrepreneurial endeavor, which was that college-specific social network. And you know, ever since then, I was just like, okay, this is what I want to be doing with my life. And so after college, I ended up like trying to get out to one of the tech scenes. I ended up as a product manager for a company called ZoomInfo in the very early days in, in Boston. And then I've leapfrogged myself back and forth between the East and West Coast a couple different times. Boston for a couple companies, West Coast, and then a HubSpot gig, and then back to the West Coast where I am now. A lot of moving expenses in your life. A lot of cross-country moves. <laughs> there, have, there have been a lot. I have driven across the country in a car like maybe like six or seven times, something oh, like that. So um, That's amazing. Yeah. It's not a bad trip. You, I think everybody should do it once. So. I did it once from Michigan to the West Coast, but I have not like zigzagged across the country. I just did it that one time. So yeah, it was fun. Do it once, maybe twice. Good. After that, it's, it's repetitive. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> After that, airplanes, airplanes only. Do you still have mm -hmm. both your parents? Okay. How do they feel about you being a serial entrepreneur? And then how do they feel about you now kind of leading an education-oriented company? Like, are they like, my boy, Apple off yeah. the old tree. Like, how do they think about it? It's interesting. So, you know, like a fun story to kick this off. When I raised money for my first venture, so my first venture back company, I was still a product manager at Zoom Info and I raised $5 million, which was a huge kind of first round yeah. of money back then. And I remember calling my parents and I was like, hey, I like telling them, and the first question out of their mouths was, well, how are you going to do that and keep your job at Zoom Info, right? Like it just didn't, it just didn't really click uh, for them right away, which I totally understand, right? You know, I think as I mentioned there, they've always been very supportive, but haven't like fully understood it, right? Of like where it comes from and those types of things. And I made it worse. I made it harder because that first venture back company was in you know, the virtual goods space when the Facebook platform was just taking off. And like the only examples were these like Korean social sites, like selling little things for your avatar. And everybody was like, just like WTF, like what the hell is this? Right. <laughs> it was basically the early version of NFTs until like Farmville and those things like took off and really popularized virtual currencies and all that kind of stuff. So compared to that and what I do today, right, they definitely get you know, like what Reforge is and, you know, understand the like certain elements of it a little bit of a little bit more clearly. But I think everybody like we're just partially the product of our environments like that we grow up in. And there are some characteristics that serve us well. And then there's some characteristics that we spend the rest of our lives, you know, fighting, right? Or, yeah. you know, like suppressing because it's not like serving us well. And so I think, you know, even though obviously we've gone on and have had some successes and even failures, there's still something that, you know, they're supportive, but it just, it doesn't, they're proud, but it doesn't fully click for them of like, mm -hmm. of the why and all that kind of stuff, because they grew up in a very different environment than I did. And, you know, with very different characteristics. And so, yeah. So I still think there's like some disconnect there, but they know that I'm not going to go hungry or <laughs> without a roof <laughs> over my head or any of that stuff. Yeah, that's good. Plus, you still have that amazing job as a PM at Zoom Info. That, you know, you <laughs> yeah, that's right. Call, oh yeah. By the way, I kept it. I kept it throughout the yeah. But I've 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 finally made senior PM. So uh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time. I bet the folks were yeah. super proud when that happened. Forget CEO. It's that senior PM move. So you mentioned your uncle kind of gave you the startup itch or was sort of like the turning point. Do you have like a fun story from working with your uncle and planning events for the stars or the titans of industry? Yeah, I think at the time he did a lot of celebrity stuff. So I was at, you know, in quotes, I was working like weddings like, you know, Adam Sandler's wedding and Shaquille O'Neal's and Charlie That's Sheen's awesome. and Denise Richards, like stuff like that. 
and it was fun and it like opened my eyes to our whole world. But I think the bigger ones that it opened my eyes were like the very successful people in business that you never hear of and just like how large that world was. But one of the sparks was that, you know, one of the events that he did was this opening party for the son of one of his clients that this started this like high end performance car like shop de- detailing thing mm-hmm. like a very, very LA thing right and the one of the events he did was like this opening party for that and the person who started that was only like 18 or 19 he was the same age as me like at oh. the time and i remember going that and seeing that and it just clicked for me it was like wait a second that is a path like like i can yeah. do that like in seeing that and i wasn't really surrounded by that in michigan and even worse than that like a lot of the things in michigan at the time suppressed that and so sure. like even when i went to when we started the company and I was still at Michigan, I remember going to the dean of the entrepreneur school at that time. He was and his help, his quote unquote help was he gave me this book that was about the difference between a brick and mortar business and an online business. And it was literally like a chapter on brick and mortar businesses have a physical location that customers walk into. And an online business doesn't right. have, like have and I'm like, sweet help, right? So just going back to the point of like just how much the things you're surrounded by can either stoke or suppress all sorts of things. And like, I don't know, I think a lot about that now having two sons as well, right? And I haven't figured it out, but it's something that I think about quite a bit. But that was sort of the spark. I saw that and then I mentioned something to my uncle after that. And then we had dinner and I told him about this idea that my friend and I had talked about the semester earlier and was like, actually, he's like, that's like a good idea. Here's what else you could do with it. Right. And he, it was really about, you know, the spark was there, but he very much took a stoking role in the whole thing. That's really awesome. So I wanted to kind of go to the next phase of your life, which is tell me about your family. Where did you meet your partner? And then tell me a little bit about your kids. Yeah. My wife and I, her name is Sean. We met Pretty early on, it was about a year after college. I think I was like 23 or something. And she was, she's a year younger than me. So it like just graduated. We both went to Michigan. We both had a ton of mutual friends, but had never met at Michigan. We had wow. both moved to Chicago after school for a brief period. And one of our mutual friends was visiting Chicago. And we were both seeing that mutual friend at a bar. And okay, so sorry, fun story of how we met. The real story is, between college and that PM job at Zoom Info, I had a management consulting job that lasted all of three weeks because it made me freaking miserable. But in that three weeks, what I was doing was I was flying from Chicago to Atlanta for four days a week, sitting in this Ugh. bank building with no windows in it, you know, like drop ceiling, designing databases on a spreadsheet, oh. on a projector. It was, it was horrible. Anyways, after the first or second week of that, I was doing that and a bunch of other stuff. And I had just like worked myself to the literal point of exhaustion. I actually ended up in the hospital, like super dehydrated. They pumped like six bags of saline in me, Atlanta. And I got to come home early that week. And of course, you know, that the 23 year old mind at the time was like, next day was like, oh yeah, totally okay to go out to the bar. So that's what I did. And I went to go to the bar to meet up with this mutual friends of ours. And I still had the hospital thing on my wrist. I hadn't taken it off yet. And my wife is a nurse. So she yeah. saw it right away and was like, why do you have this? Right. And I like told her this story and she was like, ah, you wimp. And so that's how we met. And we dated for seven, eight years, did a lot of long distance. I had this weird, not weird, but actually like I made this rule for myself early on that I didn't want to get married until I was 30 because I think people change a lot in their 20s and you can either change together or you can change apart. But anyways, we got married when we were 30. We have two sons, Jack, who's two years and three quarters. And then we have a four month old as well named to Owen. Those are the ages. Those are can't wait to get into that. You have a dog too, right? Your first baby. Yeah. Yeah. George, our French bulldog. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't get as much attention these days. And yeah, it's very sad. I've seen him in the background sometime and he looks like a George to me. So that's good. So your, your wife is an ICU nurse now. So that's, you know, that's a pretty intense job and you have an intense career now as a startup CEO and founder. Tell me about the decision to start a family together. It was something we both wanted, but there's so much nuance in that conversation that if I was giving advice to anybody earlier on, it's like, 
I think there's a series of questions and hard conversations that bring out the nuance like much earlier to like surface and discuss around it. So we were like roughly aligned that we both wanted a family, but how and when and more importantly is like when we do have a family, what we wanted that life to look like. There was mm-hmm. a lot of differences that we had to, you know, come to alignment on and honestly are still coming into alignment on as like things evolve and change. And so this decision was really hard for me because at the time of our first, I was just starting Reforge. I mean, the team was like yeah. less than 10 people, something like wow. that. We were bootstrapping and it was still something, you know, my previous companies have had some wins, but no home runs. And so in a very big way, I still felt like I had something to prove. And part of what I figured out over time is that I'm very allergic to anything that I feel like takes me back to my Michigan days of suppressing that spark in that entrepreneurship, right? And in, in a lot of ways, I was worried that having kids would potentially do that. And so I had to, you know, like a big part of that was working through that. In a different vein, I think... My wife's job is also very intense, but intense in very different way that manifests in some very different things. You know, an ICU nurse, for example, is just like emotionally just fucking exhausting, right? Oh, yeah. well, I'm, and I'm speaking from seeing, not experiencing. So just sure. to make that that clear of like where you're in a lot of cases dealing with, you know, patients who are dying and you're not just dealing with them, but you're dealing with their families, just like all sorts of things that I personally can't imagine dealing with on a regular basis. And so while I think like tech startups and founders is intense in some way, that job is intense in a fundamentally different way. But there's also some differences where like, for me, it's like my job never ends. Like I'm constantly thinking about there's no like hard start and stop. Whereas her days, there's a hard start and stop and you can't really do anything (laughs) like once you're off shift, right? (laughs) Right. So there's a lot of those types of things that I think over time, I just didn't realize at the beginning of how much that like influences our partnership. And I should say here is the only way we figure this out is we've done a lot of couples therapy. That is something that I firmly believe in and recommend to, to everybody. And there's many different styles of couples therapy that I have learned about over Mm -hmm. time. And so. Anyways, it's like, even if you feel like you have a great partnership, I think at its most basic level, couples therapy makes sure that there is dedicated time on a regular basis to surface and have hard conversations that you might not have otherwise. It like gets you out of that. It kind of gets you out of that inertia. So I don't know. These are some of the basic things that I've learned, but yeah, we'll talk about more. Yeah. And you know, when your kids were born... Would you say that you kind of took to fatherhood right away? Like, I I am of the opinion that some people are just wired for it and some people have to learn. And I think a lot more people have to learn than are wired for it. So, like, how are your wife and you different in in that regard or the same? Yeah, totally. So... Well, one thing I should say not to bury the lead is that we actually had a very tragic experience where we had a daughter that passed away at birth. She was stillborn. It was a total surprise on the due date. No warning signals. We never found or no cause was ever found, like all this kind of stuff. And that was that was just like a giant bomb in our entire lives. And so, you know, my entry into fatherhood was basically of you know, tragedy and despair and terrible surprise, right? And that took a long time, you know, to... Well, actually, I'm still working through it. Like, we're still working through it. It's one of those things that kind of affects you for the rest of your your life. And then we were fortunate to go on and have, you know, two very healthy sons. And so I think I'm definitely in your camp where maybe wired isn't the right word for it. I don't know what the right word for it is, but... Certainly, I think everything in our lives, there are things that I don't know if natural abilities is the right word or things that we gravitate to much more easily. And there are things that we don't gravitate towards easily. And to be very clear, I do not think this is actually a male or female thing. I actually know a lot of fathers and a lot of males that, and the opposite, a lot of females and mothers that are kind of the reverse. And so this is probably a bad analogy, but just to 
analogy in the work environment, right? Like just think about something like creative design versus like working in Excel. You know, Mm -hmm. imagine the creative designer, like them having to do something in Excel. It's not that they can't do it. It's that doing it consumes more energy and it feels like more like pushing a boulder uphill compared to like the finance person who's like found themselves in that career and has in sort of has a ticket. And the vice versa is true as well. And it's kind of similar in that sense. And I don't know if it's natural ability or reps, but obviously one of the reasons, you know, my wife is a great nurse is that she takes to that and also gains energy from that that active caring and empathy and all that kind of stuff. Where for me, it just like, honestly, just was, is not. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, I got to work. I got to work much harder at it. And I think that's important to acknowledge because I think, you know, if you don't acknowledge that, then you could probably like look at friends or look at examples who are opposite of you and be like, what the hell is wrong with me? Right. A type of deal, which just drains the energy even further. It, it, it doesn't help. Right. Um, right. And even more so, like, I think one of my hot takes is, man, like, I wish I could rid the world of all parenting content on Instagram, for example. And it's just like, oh, for moms, for dads, for like everybody, it's just like the Instagramification of parenting, of like where everything is rosy and all that kind of stuff. Oh, God. Like, it's just, I think it creates yeah. so many like bad and like false perceptions and creates a bunch of angst and stuff. So, whether the right way to think about it is people are naturally wired for it or not, but like, but I, there's something in there, and and I think there's something to learn over time for sure. Yeah, I was going to mention the Instagram thing, and I'm glad that you brought it up because one of my favorite things to do. I, I would not consider myself to be a, a Instagram aficionado, but I do follow <laughs> some of the more sort of like cynical parenting things on Instagram, and it's a very good release. They definitely do not put out an aura of perfection at all. So highly encourage those types of Instagram followings and not the perfectly manicured, you know, ones. So, yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. And I would say that I'm in a pretty similar camp to you in terms of like parenting did not come natural to me. Right. Like, I mean, I had to learn a lot. Right. So it's like having a growth mindset as an adult, really important. (laughs) I think also, you know, what's interesting too is you know, you're really driven professionally and, you know, accomplished and you've been a leader at different companies. And then you really kind of get a reality check when your kids are born, right? They like take you down a couple of pegs because you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm used to being a lot more confident in these different situations. And now I don't know. I don't know what to do. So have you ever had moments like that where you're just completely unprepared for things as a father? I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of things, but I think before I had kids, there was like a lot of, I I talked to like a lot of dads, right? Like in the mm-hmm. same way, like I would treat like a, almost like a work problem of like, I'm going to discovery. I'm going to talk to a bunch of people who have been through it before. Right. And one of the things that I kept hearing over and over again, is, so one of the things is like, I had a really hard time imagining what life would be like with a kid. And some people tried to describe it to me and others were like, yeah, there's just like no explanation for it. And, you know, you just like get into it and you figure it out. And I wish I could sit here and say, well, I found the descriptor for it, but I haven't. And it's right. Like, it's like I spent all this energy trying to imagine what it would be like with a kid. And then as a result, to to prepare and like all these kinds of things. And then once you're in it, you're just like, you're kind of just in it. And I think most people just end up like, figuring it out and adjusting and trying things. And so if I could go back and do it all over again, I probably wouldn't spend as much energy and time trying to like figure out all the ambiguous details beforehand and just kind of embrace the ambiguity a little bit. I think it would have like released a lot of stress for myself and honestly between my partner and I. So I do think there are certain things you can do to prepare, but otherwise like you just have to embrace it. And it was even similar going from one to two, right? So it was like, oh, no, I have one. Well, now I know it's like, well, that means I could probably definitely imagine what two is like. Yeah, yeah, I was dead after right. on that one too, right? And going from one to two has been like multiple times harder than going from zero to one, which is another thing that I wouldn't have expected. So 
So I think no matter what you do, there is no being fully prepared. And that's okay. Right. So, yeah. 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 I notice, you know, one of the things for me is, you know, I'm a very structured thinker and I like to plan and sort of know where I'm going. And the problem with that is that it is somewhat conflicting with the idea of having children who are, for the most part, very unpredictable with a lot of things in life, right? Mm -hmm. And so you just have to learn how to like balance that. What would you say are some of the most like surprising things about fatherhood? It seems obvious in hindsight, but I think it's more about energy versus time. I think, you know, one of the disconnects that we had to work through is both of my wife's parents were also teachers, right? So we actually grew up Mm. in very similar, you know, they were out the door at seven or eight. They were home by three thirty, four summers off, Mm -hmm. right? Like dinner every single night, like as a family, like all these rituals in this time, right? And that just frankly just did not fit into our lives. Like me as a founder and her as a ICU nurse that worked, you know, three 12 to 14 hour shifts per week, like that aren't predictable and like all this stuff. It just like flat out didn't work, right? And so there was a bit of an expectation and thought of like, well, like it would look like that. And especially from my end, which was, I think there's a lot of concern around like time spent with kids. And I don't think it's about the amount of time. I think it's about the time that you do spend just to make sure that you have like high quality energy, right? Yeah. Because for me, at least, you know, in the founder seat, like if I'm not spending a certain amount of time on the company, it's just going to end up creating more stress, more problems that I have to deal with that I then don't have time to, and it just like ends up being this really bad cycle of things, which is going to create all the time that I spend on the family as like low energy and low quality. And so mm-hmm. what I try to stay ahead of is it's not like amount of time thing. It's like, it's more about the time that I do spend is just, I'm just trying to make an effort to make it as high quality as possible. And I think that is what like fits for me and for us right now. So that was like one big thing. We've talked a lot about just like perception versus reality, right? But I think that whether it's Instagram or looking at friends, couples and and everything, the more data I've gathered, the more I've realized perception does not equal reality whatsoever. Even thinking about friends who from the outside we thought were, you know, had the like quote unquote perfect lives or families or like wish we were like them. I get more data points of like actually underneath the surface, that's not true. There's like you know, an affair going on or like oh some other like big shit. So, uh, so look, like it's just so easy to fall into this, like compare and contrast, you know, around mm-hmm. perception and it creates all of this bad juju. So, yeah. You mentioned, you know, quality time over quantity of time. What are some ways that you kind of protect your time with either your partner or your kids? You know, does that mean? throw the phone out the window. What does that look like for you? My mind will constantly drift towards work and work problems, right? Yeah, And it's a constant process of reminding myself like when I am with them that if I keep letting my mind drift, I'm probably going to look back and regret that. It's kind of like the regret minimization framework, right? And so that ends up being like the hardest thing and the biggest thing. There isn't a secret here. I think like putting away the phone and the devices is part of that. But I also like for me, the easiest thing for me is it's just like get out of the house. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm at the house and like in like the routine environment, I think it's easier to fall into those things. But when we're out of the house, like at the playground or, you know, we live up in Marin County. So there's tons of hiking trails and like all of that kind of stuff. I find that that stuff is just harder to naturally fall into and is like a great forcing function of there's new things, there's things going on and like like all that kind of stuff. And then I think the other thing is like, you got to keep it interesting for yourself as well. Maybe that's a selfish thing to say, but like if it's the same exact routine, if you go to the same exact playground every time, all that kind of stuff, you're just going to get bored, right? Like for yourself. <laughs> and so, you know, just like finding new places to go and constantly finding like new things to do and like, working in the variety, I think is probably also another like very helpful tool that I've started to discover. 
I love that. I love the idea of like getting out of the house and also switching it up, right? So you're kind of forced to pay attention because you're like, oh, this is a new place. Totally. I have to make sure my kid doesn't go fall into a hole. Oh, yeah. I know no. where all the holes are. <laughs> I'm oh, not. Yeah. You say that jokingly, but it's true. So it's like you don't know what's on the other side of that bush, and he's just like running straight through it. So. That's right. And who knows in Marin, I mean, it could be a mountain lion. So I want to turn the corner to a tough topic, one that you brought up sort of your earliest parenting experience, this idea of, of loss and, and of, of losing a child at birth. You know, not too many people talk about how hard it is to get and stay pregnant and mm-hmm. then deliver a healthy kid. I think I've heard a lot of, as we've become parents, I hear a lot of people who identify as mothers talking about this, talking about that with each other and things like that. But it's very rare to hear dads talk about these kinds of hardships, which is one of the reasons that I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really curious to hear a little bit about your journey there with your wife and how you kind of got comfortable, you know, probably still getting comfortable talking about this, you know, sharing it with other people and maybe, you know, what advice you have for folks who might be going through something Similar. Mm. Man, so much advice. Yeah, just to restate what our situation was, you know, perfectly healthy pregnancy with our daughter all the way up until the due date. And like we went in for like a regular checkup and there was no heartbeat. And, you know, my wife had like felt our daughter kind of moving kind of earlier that day and everything. So to say that it was a total shock to us was like an understatement. And then I think probably one of the worst parts around that I've learned around stillbirths is that, you know, typically greater than 40 to 50% of them, a cause is never found. So closure is really hard. And then making the decision to, you know, go through that journey again is like yeah. a fucking terrifying, is a terrifying decision. And there's lots of reasons for this, like women's health is massively underfunded, like all of this other stuff. But, you know, we made a very early decision right after that we were going to talk openly about it. And I can't remember exactly why all the details of why, but it was something that we just like felt very strongly about right out of the gate. And I think part of it is just that there's all sorts of like, shame in talking around these things, whether it's this or miscarriages or, you know, trouble even like getting pregnant and all of these types of things. I think it's becoming a little bit more okay to talk about. But, you know, it was interesting when we did talk openly about it, all sorts of stories surfaced from our network that I had no idea about, right? Just to show you how common these different things are. And so... You know, one of the things that we did about this and a tip that we got very early on that felt very counterintuitive was if you are in an unfortunate position where you go through a tragedy like this is that you have to tell other people how you want them to act in a situation Mm -hmm. like this. It's very counterintuitive because it's like, wait a second, like this thing happened to me. Why do I have to tell other people? Right. Why is that my burden? how to behave and how to behave and act. But the thing is, is that just other people just don't know. They don't know what you want. And it makes it a very awkward and uncomfortable situation. And as a result, they evade around these topics and then nobody wins. You don't get the support that you need and they don't feel like they're supporting, right? And so we actually, we wrote a letter to a bunch of our family and friends just telling them like, what had happened, how we felt about it. And we ended it with like, here's how you can support us. Here's what we want you to do. We want to talk about it. Like, you know, we want you to use our name. Like, we don't want you to like all these types of things. And that was probably one of the most helpful things that we would do. And we got so many responses from that being like, thank you. My guess is that was really hard for you to do, but it helped me so much know like what you all wanted. And so... That was probably, yeah. yeah, that was out of like the 80, 20 things that we did. That was a big thing. And then also just finding other people who had been through similar situations. And I'll say like people who have been through something like stillbirths versus miscarriage versus trouble, getting pregnant, all that kind of stuff, we found were actually quite different. So it was actually very important that we found other people that had been through something very close to us. There's all sorts of organizations, 
all over the place that help with this. Now, one specifically called HAND, H-A-N-D is like the acronym. I can't remember what it all stands for. And through those experiences, we actually met a couple couples that will probably be like lifelong friends as part of that. And so, you know, I think the hard thing is that just like everybody tells you that everybody processes these things differently. That is 100% true. My wife and I processed it very differently from each other. And we had to go through a lot of conversations to close that gap. At the same time, everybody tells you everybody processes it differently, but is very quick to tell you what's going to happen <laughs> and like how you're going to feel. Yeah. yeah. And I, like I wanted, like I had like, I want to punch you in the face type of reactions when it first happened. Right. Which is they sure. would be like, everybody processes it differently, but let me tell you what you're going to think next. And so, and they're trying to be helpful, right? Totally. Like, they're, yeah. They're trying, yeah, they just, yeah. Yeah. They're trying to be helpful and stuff. And so what I've tried to do when we felt in similar situations, I feel like a huge, a huge obligation to like, for those who go through it is to help them, right? Is that I'm just like very conscious of like, here's what we went through. Here are some tools that we found helpful. Here are some tools we tried but did not find helpful and why. And you should, you know, pick and choose like for you and your specific situation. So I think these things are hard. Like a lot of them aren't talked about. I'll mention one more that I haven't mentioned, which is postpartum depression for both the male and the female is a very real thing. And is another one that I have learned is very common and okay. is just something that everybody needs to be aware of. So when you add all of these things up, right, trouble getting pregnancy, things like miscarriages to stillborn to postpartum depression, like all this type, the whole journey, right? Yeah. Like the percentage of people who go through one of these things is extremely high, right? Which is exactly sure. why we should be talking about all of it, right? And it, and it should be all okay. So. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. I think a lot of people will benefit from hearing about that too. So throughout your experience so far, and I know you're a young parent, right? But have you developed any kind of like frameworks for parenting? And you're a big <laughs> frameworks guy. I know professionally you're a big frameworks guy. I am too. What are your go-to parenting frameworks or how do you think about that? Yeah, there's maybe a couple in mind. I think the first, which I don't to be fully honest, like we haven't done yet, but is something that I keep thinking about is laying out your quote unquote parenting values and like yep. align on those as a couple. And it's very similar to a company. And it's not like mm -hmm. how you're going to parent. It's the things that are most important to you that you want to, you know, hopefully instill and impart on your kids. Right. So an example of one that is top of mind for me is like resilience you know, yeah. is I really would like my kids to be okay with like trying really hard things and being okay with failing and being resilient to that. Right. And I think a helpful exercise is, you know, like writing those down and talking through hypothetical examples of how you would treat a specific scenario, and, you know, to align on that. And so I think this ends up being important because the how of all of this and the methods to like achieve these values just is going to change, right? Just a yeah. very simple example of like how you discipline your kids, right? Is very different. It changes based on the age of the kid. It changes on the kid themselves. People respond to differently things. There's right. And so you can't really spell out the how of it. Like that's the thing that I feel like I find myself constantly having to adapt to. But I think if you have those things that you can always root back to and align on is like, actually, this is the thing that we're trying to impart and like achieve is probably helpful. Mm -hmm. The second framework that I do think about quite a bit and I do act on is that I don't even remember where I got this from, but I remember hearing that one way to view a job as a parent is you know, your job is from birth to when they're 18 is to move the kid from fully dependent to fully independent, essentially. Yep. And the part of that is helping them make bigger and bigger choices with bigger consequences, you know, independently. So on these types of decisions, you go from, I am the decision maker, I've got veto power, right? To, mm -hmm. I'm just like a supporting role, right? And they've got to make the decision for themselves. And I used to think, you know, before when I first heard that, it would, I used to think about it differently. Whereas now what I'm realizing is like, 
this even starts at a young age, right? Where it's like, hey, I see my three-year-old son. He's like pulling on his toy. I know it's going to break and I could do one of two things there. I could step in and be like, no, you're going to break that toy. Or I could be like, hey, if you keep pulling on that toy, it's going to break. And then just let him break it and deal with the consequences, right? And so... You know, this spectrum is one that I keep in my head at all the time because it's one that always evolves where it's like, you know, you got to keep stepping up, you know, pushing more and more of that decision making over. And hopefully by the time they're 18, they can make a lot of those types of decisions by themselves. So those are the two that I very commonly think about. Yeah. The toy example is really interesting because, you know, especially as an adult, because you're like, well, I know what's going to happen. It's going to (laughs) break. And then he's going to feel like shit. And then that's going to bring the next 30 minutes of my life to like a screeching halt, right? But you kind of just have to let it happen. Totally. You know? And so it's like, you got to go through it with him, even though you know it's going to be not the most fun, you know, next 30 to 60 minutes for you. Yeah. I mean, the same goes for work too, right? Like part of helping mentor people is there's a certain set of decisions that as a CEO that I will veto because of the Mm -hmm. consequences. And then there's a certain set of decisions where I'm like, Hey, like based on my experience, here's what I think is going to happen, but the decision is yours. And you're the one that's going to have to own the consequences of that decision that has changed as the company has gotten bigger and bigger in those types of decisions. So there's a little bit of an interesting parallel there. You and your wife obviously been through an incredible amount of stuff together. And you mentioned this idea of kind of aligning on parenting values. And I think aligning as a couple is really important. Not that I have mastered this in any regard, by the way, and I have an almost 10-year-old. Yeah, by the way, same disclaimer as well is like, I am still crazy in the learning phase of this. I'm probably going to listen to this podcast 18 years from now and be like, holy shit, I was dead wrong. So just, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm curious, what is something that you and your wife don't agree on? Whew. I mean, we still have disagreements on what we want the family life to look like, the routines, the time, what we're spending that time on, you know, like how much support we're hiring and have, right? Like all of these things. Because that's another big thing is we don't have any family that lives near us. And that is a huge, that's like a big... That's tough. That's a big game changer. I think probably like... There will be some other things like as they get older of, you know, I am very much like, you know, throw them into the hard stuff and let them struggle and like be supportive and like and figure it out. And she has a little bit more of like a protective instinct. I also think like I don't want to force ambition, but I want to stoke it. So whatever they end up wanting to do with their lives, I'm supportive of. But I want them to have a sense of ambition versus ambivalence towards what they're like doing with their life. They don't have to start a company, grow a company, like get rich, like any of that shit. But I think that's an important like sense of purpose Mm -hmm. in life that I've found and is something that I want to impart on them. And I'm not saying that my wife doesn't have ambition, but I don't think she feels it in the same way as I do. And so that ends up being probably like a meaningful difference too that we'll have to navigate over time. Yeah. And I think it's also, it's a moving target, right? Like as soon as you get into a certain routine or a certain way of interacting or working together as a family, like the ground shifts under you and something else changes totally. and kids are older or they need something different or something like that. So it's like a fluid kind of lifelong conversation, right? I was trying to draw all these analogies to the work world. I don't know if this one's going to work either, but you know, one of the complaints about moving from an operator role to a VC role is like you have like these really long feedback cycles that are like 5 mm-hmm. to 10 years long. It's a big subjective. You don't know if you're like really doing the job well, all that kind of stuff. Now it's kind of like, well, this is even worse than that because like the real feedback cycle is probably 20 years or longer, right? Like until they right. they get into adulthood, you don't get a diversified portfolio. Like, I don't know, unless you're Elon Musk, right? So <laughs> having all sorts of kids, right? You know, at least in my case, like we're, you know, we yeah. have two sons, we're done, right? And so it's like, and even though there's a bunch of people who have like 
been through it before that can offer some guidance. It's not like something you get a ton of reps at and build just like deep expertise in like running growth experiments. So anyways, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, it's just like, like, yeah, there's some shared difficulties there. So yeah, Yeah. you've had a rough pandemic existence (laughs) and this year in particular, right? Like, tell me about what it's been like parenting a couple of kids during the pandemic while building a company, you know, I know you got sick a bunch this year. There was like a dark four to six weeks of your life for a period of time. So how do you keep your head above water, especially in a world where one of your jobs as a CEO is to put on a positive, you know, supportive face for your company, right? And will them forward and create vision and things like that inspire. Yeah, I think... Well, before I go deep into the question, I think one of the things that we at Reforge that we've gotten feedback on is like people appreciate it when I talk about my family or acknowledge like, hey, like I got family drama going on right now. I need to take like a half day off and handle it and stuff like that. And so I don't know, that's very natural to me because I'm a very transparent person. But apparently people aren't used to that. And so just like actually just like kind of like being open about it has been interestingly helpful from that regard. I also saw this and I also don't remember who said this, which is like, the reality is that I think that most fathers and parents, there's a give on something. So if you think about the different buckets of things, whether that's personal health, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, work, relationship with friends, right? There's probably a couple other categories is that there's a give somewhere. Right. There's a real give. And this is part of like getting to the founder life fatherhood and like the whole work life balance kind of conversation. I know there's a bunch of different takes on this, but I hate the work life balance terminology and stuff is because I don't think it acknowledges the very real trade off that exists. And the trade off that I've made personally is that I spend a lot more time on my work life than other people. I know that that means less time with my family and my spouse and my friends. The way I'm dealing with that is that the time I do spend with them, I just try to make as like high quality as possible. But there's other gives all around the table, right? And this person that I got this from said that the reason dad bod is a real is like a thing is because most dads, the thing that they give is on personal health, right? Yeah. And so yeah. in order to allocate that limited time and that limited energy and elsewhere, I've given a little bit on that, but I've kept a huge chunk of it because it, I found it's the only way that I can deal with both the stress of work and family life at the same time. And yeah. when I don't do it, it actually makes the other things worse, not better, yeah. even though it opens up more time. And so I think this like, portfolio allocation of these things and the trade-offs that you're making are very real. They're not permanent, right? And I think that's the problem is most people feel like they're permanent. But you just, I think you just got to like like look at it in its face and call it out for, you know, what it is, right? And and that you're making that decision. Now look, I could get to the end of my life and be like that was the wrong trade-off decision to make. And that could like certainly happen. And I think for other people you know, in the regret minimization framework might be too heavy for them. And so they might make a different trade-off decision. But I think part of the problem with the Instagramification of all topics is this perception that I can have it all with no give and take. And I personally don't think that's a reality. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually talked to a few CEOs of companies who have young families and they have said something very similar. I think probably the happiest, the ones who seem most put together have been able to come to this realization. Okay, we're almost out of time. I'm going to do really quick rapid fire. This should take less than 60 seconds. All right. Here we go. Thing number one, what is the most indispensable parenting product that you've ever purchased? Not really a product, but a night nanny. If you can afford it, it's literally the best dollars I've ever spent in my entire life. So sleep has a compounding effect on everything else. Yeah. What about the most useless parenting product you've purchased? Oh, God. I don't know. Like so many... Most parent. of them? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I would actually say most of them. Yeah, I don't do most of the parenting product purchasing in our, in our household. That, that's yeah. my wife. Yeah. yeah. Most frustrating thing that's ever happened to you as a dad so far? Oh, God. 
we were, okay, most frustrating thing, we recently went on a vacation trip. I was hoping that it was going to be like this like refueling, re-energizing experience. It ended up being the total opposite. I came back multiple times, drained. It was like a big time change, no sleep. You know, oh. youngest would screamed in the car wherever we went. Like it was just like oh, all no. it was just all of these things. And so it was just a frustrating part of parenting reality that I had yeah. to deal with. Yeah. That one I can say does get better as they get older. But I hear you on that yeah. one. Yeah. All right. What's your go-to dad wardrobe? <laughs> I was just talking about this last night. It's Viore core shorts and yeah. then a Viore t-shirt. And then I also okay. have for colder weather, Viore, but it's all Viore at this point. Like it's just so comfortable. Damn. Like it's, every, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If you already had a subscription service that they could just send me clothes would, every yeah, like three to six months, I would do it. Yeah. Everyone customer. Okay. Screen time, good, bad, or indifferent. How do you feel about screen time? It's to me, it's inevitable. And so okay. I think part of the responsibility of parenting is how to teach your kids how to use devices responsibly. Right. Okay. In the same way, if you overreact to banning, I think like all sugar, or like all that kind of stuff and don't teach them there, once they become independent, it's just they're either revolt or it's going to go the opposite way. So yeah. we allow some screen time moderated. And as they get older, it's very much focused on teaching them the good, the bad and the responsibility around it. So cool. last question, what is your take on minivans? I am still in denial about minivans. We do not own minivans. We have a small SUV and a large SUV. Okay. But, you know. You got to embrace the Michigan roots at some point. Yeah, yes. Well, yeah, I grew up riding around in minivans with my parents. So we'll see if I relent to it. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Brian. Thank you for listening to today's conversation with Brian Balfour. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe and share and leave me a review. It'll help other people find this podcast. Startup Dad is a Fishman AF production with editing support from Tommy Heron. You can stay up to date on my thoughts on growth, product, and parenting by subscribing to the Fishman AF newsletter at www.fishmanafnewsletter.com. Thanks for listening.